independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Sustainability isn't only about what's good for the planet. It's also about what's good for you and for what you do in your life. And so you have to make both of them mesh. It has to be good for the planet, but it also has to be good for you too. You know, we don't need to martyr ourselves for the planet. What does it mean for us that plastic is actually in part a byproduct of the oil industry? How do we deal with the frustration of being around friends or family members who may be a bit wasteful or very wasteful when we're working hard to be more mindful about reducing our personal waste? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Green Dreamer Podcast is supported by our listener patrons and our sponsor, Arbor Teas. Arbor Teas is a small family-owned organic tea company driven by sustainability in everything they do, from the sourcing, backyard compostable packaging, use of renewable energy, and more. I'm excited to share their only sale of the year with you later, but for now, to our episode with our first guest making a second appearance on the show, Catherine Kellogg, a spokesperson for the Zero Waste Movement and the blogger behind GoingZeroWaste.com. If you haven't already listened to our first interview, make sure to go back to episode 35 so you can hear about her background and journey into zero waste living. But she just published her first book, 101 Ways to Go Zero Waste, and we're going to start off by hearing about her inspirations for that. So if you're ready, Green Dreamer, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. I really wanted something that was going to be quick, digestible, something that you could read cover to cover or just find the exact tip you're looking for. And that way you didn't feel like you had to read an entire book. But I just thought it'd be really nice to have that information just so easily accessible. And it's something that I would have loved to have had when I first started going zero waste. And that's really how I created that with that in mind. What I really appreciate about your book is that it is very accessible and actionable. And it's a great resource because it covers such a wide range of topics from different areas of our lives we can work on to things that we can also do in our communities to support bigger action or political action as well. What was your biggest light bulb moment as you were putting all these pieces together? As I was thinking through these tips, I was really trying to organize it in a way that someone might personally journey through the book because that's kind of how I felt was going zero waste is so individual and it's so personal. And I just wanted there to be a little bit more of a roadmap so that way you could kind of walk through it in a way that I walked through it, which was tackling my kitchen and then tackling my bathroom. And then I decided to 
think about other larger principles that also associate with zero waste. And then finally, after I felt like I really had control over all of the other areas of my life is when I started working towards getting involved in local government. And it's something I'm so passionate about, and I would love for other people to start doing as well. So your book is set up in a way where the tips, the order that they are given, that has real meaning. It's helpful to actually start from one, two, three, four, et cetera. Exactly. Of course, while it will vary for other people, this is kind of the way that I approached uh-huh. my zero waste lifestyle. Well, for most people who are listening to this and who are already consciously trying to live more sustainably, I think we likely have already heard of the term zero waste for quite a bit. But let's say we want to introduce this concept, maybe give this book to our friends or family members who have no idea what this is all about. How would you explain the idea of zero waste living to someone literally hearing it for the first time? The simple definition is to send nothing to a landfill. And the more complex definition that I personally really like is that it's to completely write waste out of existence. Because for me, there's so much more that you can waste beyond what you just throw in your trash can. And if we're only looking at what we put into our trash can, I feel like we have a very narrow view of sustainability. And so I would like for us to look at the larger picture, which I think is a more holistic approach as well, and also applies to lifestyle. For me, I approach this from a very holistic standpoint. I started going zero waste because I had a breast cancer scare and I was phasing out these products because they were endocrine disruptors interfering with my hormone system. And I didn't know what I was doing was eco-friendly. It's just what I was doing for my personal health happened to be eco-friendly. And so I think that we can look at sustainability on such a holistic level of good for the earth and good for our bodies. And when you talk about not sending any trash to the landfill, because it's not zero waste period. There could be maybe an aluminum can that we recycle or with companies that have take back programs. There's still waste. It's just they're set up in a way where they can go back to become something of value again. So it's not literally no waste. But what do you mean by nothing sent to the landfill? So what type of trash would render it unrecyclable or maybe not compostable, and therefore they would have to end up in the landfill? Yeah, that answer is constantly evolving because as of last year, January 2018, China put a ban on all paper and plastic imports, and we're seeing other countries now follow suit. It's becoming more and more difficult for our recycling to actually be recycled. A lot of people aren't recycling the correct way. It's so important to go onto your waste management website and view what is actually recyclable in your area. And of course, I think a huge principle that a lot of people forget is that recycling should be a last resort rather than the first thing we think of. Recycling will not save us because it is an imperfect and flawed system. We need more companies taking corporate responsibility over their packaging, which we are starting to see happen, which I think is very exciting. And I don't know, everything is so nuanced. And it's something that I try really hard to break down in the book. And that way, it's very quick and digestible. That way you can kind of understand some of the nuance that is happening because sustainability is so great. There's no one right way to be sustainable. I think that something we may struggle with when we're trying to go zero waste is living with or being around roommates, partners, colleagues, or family members who don't seem to care at all. And that can be really frustrating for us and discouraging when we're trying to do what we can. So how do you deal with that? One of my favorite stories ever was when I decided to go zero waste, I think it was the end of 2014 when I really like wanted to do this. And I told my boyfriend at the time, he's now my husband. So spoiler alert, it all worked out. <laughs> but I said, 
Justin, I really want to do this. I, I want to go zero waste. And he was so distraught and he looked at me and he said, I finally thought I was dating a normal girl. <laughs> and it was rough the first couple months, to be honest. And my family just didn't really understand. And he was like, we already do so much because since I had approached this from a health point of view several years earlier, I was already doing a lot of these things. And he said, we're already doing so much. Why do you want to do more? And I was like, exactly. We're already doing so much. We can just like, we can be done. Like we can do it. And it took a while. And I have definitely found a few easy, easy ways to help approach these situations. And number one is to remember that your choices are only your choices. You can only control your actions. It's a great lesson in letting go. And it's a great lesson in truly being okay with what you're doing and being okay with that being different from the other people around you. And I had roommates at the time too. I had three, well, Justin, and then I had two other male roommates. So it was pretty hilarious. I got them to save all of their pasta sauce jars for me though. And that was great. And implemented, you know, a pretty strict recycling rules for the household. They were perfectly fine with me making all of the cleaners. So I would make all the cleaners and they would use them, which was really great. And, um, you know, slowly but surely everyone started to come on board And I think the best way to do that is not to nag people, not to, I didn't talk about it. I just did it. And anytime someone asked me about it, I very much emphasized I was doing it for me. Hmm. And people really respect self-help. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but people really respect when you're doing something for yourself. I'm doing this because I'm saving money. I'm doing this because it makes me healthier. I'm doing this for me. The moment that you make it selfless, I'm doing this for the planet, then people's like little radars go off and they're like, oh, Judgy McJudgerson's here. (laughs) And so (laughs) I find that that's just the best way to approach it. And my husband now is pretty much 99% zero waste. He has his like little quirks. Like he goes to the grocery store and gets one pint of ice cream every month. And I am so for it. I'm so for it. I think that's great. If that's what it takes for you to live a basically a 99% zero waste lifestyle, like I think that's awesome. People really tend to focus on the few things they can't do or the few things they don't want to give up. And my response is just do everything else. If you don't want to give up your Pop-Tart habit or your monthly pint of ice cream, then do everything else. And then look at what you've done, not what you can't do. Mm. People are so focused on what they can't do that they miss all the awesome stuff that they are doing or can do. Right. So a lot of the frustration comes from us looking at the things that we can't control in terms of other people around us and also the things that we're personally resistant to in our own lives. Absolutely. You also mentioned framing things as this is what I want to do for me rather than, oh, like I'm saving the environment or whatever, which can maybe just repel other people because other people may feel judged or whereas when you say this is better for my health, this is I feel better, then maybe it'll get them more curious, like, oh, I want to feel better. I want to be healthier, too. Yes, 100 percent. I completely agree. And I think we're just if someone does something selflessly, then we are kind of like, oh, well, I'm not doing that. And then that makes me selfish. Hmm. I think there's just this instinct feeling of like, oh, well, then they're better than me. And we just, as humans, we just, we don't like that. And so I think by constantly making it a selfish idea that it does, it it absolutely brings and draws more people in because you're right. They want to know how can I improve my health? 
Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's a byproduct of helping the planet. Well, great. Sign me up <laughs> and I can save money. Yeah, I'm down. I'm ready. Like, let's do it. So your work, I think, has been really successful and has really resonated with a lot of people because you're aware that people may be at different stages in our eco-lifestyle journeys. And again, you make your content really easy to understand, accessible and encouraging. So how do you balance keeping your content simple and accessible while personally knowing that there's a lot of nuance and complexity behind these simple actions? Thank you. First of all, thank you so much. That is definitely the goal of my platform. And it's something that I have struggled with a lot more as I have learned more. And as I have become, that's one of the things I love. I have loved watching me personally evolve and personally learn and grow. Because when I started my blog, it was very much don't put trash in the trash can or don't put trash in the landfill. That was it. It was this very narrow focus. And as I've grown and evolved to have a more complex understanding of sustainability, it has been very challenging. And I'm very difficult to interview now because I'm always like, but, <laughs> you know, and. <laughs> That's important, and, though. We we love that here. <laughs> good, great. And Instagram captions, or God, please, never Twitter. Like 140 characters, you can't explain anything <laughs> about sustainability. It's just impossible. And I have tried really hard to break it down in a way that I understand it. I always joke that being a blogger is my fulfilling my lifelong childhood dream of being a know-it-all because that is like <laughs> that is who I was as a child. I was the know-it-all. I wanted to know everything. And so I just try to break it down in my very three-year-old mindset of like, well, why? But why? Mm. And I just try very hard to keep it very organized and very succinct because I know that no one wants to read me drivel on for like 6,000 words about some things. So you feel like since you started talking about this, what's really changed is maybe things were more simple or things were more straightforward, but now it's like, oh, but there's more to this. There's more to this. And you just keep digging deeper and deeper. Exactly. And there's no way I could have been there four years ago. So I started writing my blog four years ago and it's hilarious because I think my third post or second post is about how there's a cafe where I used to work and I would just bring my plate to the cafe and they would put my food on the plate and then I would just sit down and eat it so I didn't have to have you know a disposable basket and it's hilarious because it's this picture of a bacon hamburger <laughs> and some several people have like gone back and like totally called me out on it. they're like why are you eating a bacon burger right now and like bragging <laughs> about your plate like think about it and I was like, yeah, I mean, you have to realize I wrote this four years ago. And like, I have learned so much. And what started on just focusing on the trash can has evolved into learning more about fast fashion and like how that impacts the environment. I started learning more about the animal agriculture industry. I've learned so much about carbon emissions. And my post today on Instagram is talking about paper. Paper is great because it's compostable, but on average has three times the higher emissions than plastic. So it's like, what is better? Mm. And there's no right answer. So all we can do is kind of talk about better solutions and just hopefully choose one that works better for us in that moment. And then just kind of have to be confident in that decision and knowing that tomorrow, if we learn something new, then tomorrow we'll make a better decision. Mm. There's so much to it. And speaking of all of these complexities that you're diving more into, what is like one of the biggest nuances to do with zero waste living that you feel like isn't really talked about enough, but should be, or is just important for us to keep in mind? There's so many. I mean, I think almost everything, but now food waste is becoming so much more prominent, but that's the first one that pops to my mind is food waste. And so often we think like, oh, this is compostable. 
that's fine. I'll just put it in the compost. But really, like food is so energy intensive to grow. And it's like a food waste for a country, it would be the third largest polluter in the world, which is mind boggling. So I think it's really important that we really try and cut down on food waste. And of course, and now as we learn more, it's not just us throwing away food, it's also manufacturers throwing away food. There was this quote that blows my mind. I want to read it because I'm afraid I'm going to say it wrong, but grocery stores like to have the appearance of abundance because the appearance of abundance causes us to buy more. And so grocery stores waste food because it's more profitable than to buy less, which is just this mind blowing fact. And then we go back even further. This is of course asking why, okay, well, why is that? Well, then also the producers are wasting food too, because they're not attractive because grocery stores don't want to stock them. And so it's just this ever evolving crazy problem that I feel like we can tackle on so many levels, of course, in the individual level, making sure we only buy what we need, contacting our grocery stores, asking them to make sure they're only buying what they need and asking them to stock produce that doesn't look as appealing. Or of course, signing up for programs like Imperfect Produce. And there's several others around ugly fruit and veg that sell these unattractive produce pieces at a lower cost in order to prevent them from going to landfill. This is interesting because I almost feel like it's evolutionary in the sense that if we're out in the wild trying to forage, we're going to look for the most perfect looking apple on the tree that doesn't have bugs all over it or doesn't have bruises and stuff. But in today's world, there's too much that we kind of have to go against our instincts of choosing everything to be perfect or looking for abundance everywhere. Absolutely. And what's so fascinating is sometimes the ugliest produce is the best tasting. When you think about watermelons, if they have all this scarring all over them, it's because insects were super attracted to them because they're like, oh man, this is super sweet. So if you're looking for the sweetest watermelon, you definitely want the ugliest one. (laughs) How do we go about getting supermarkets to not play that abundance card? Because at the end of the day, they're still a business and they want to sell as much as possible to be able to keep their business going. So how do we work around that if they know, based on maybe marketing research, that when they have a whole pile of apples rather than just what people will actually buy, that they will sell more? How do we work around that? That's a great, great question. I wish I had a really good answer to. (laughs) I, I don't. But I do think that it is, if it is possible, of course, it is good to support your local farmer. And instead of relying on getting all of your groceries from the grocery store chain, maybe going and supporting that farmer and then asking them about their imperfect things that they might have. Are you familiar with the TV show Scraps? No, I'm not. It's a TV show about cooking with food waste. That's great. I was just watching one of the episodes and it's great because they went to the actually San Francisco farmer's market and they walked around asking vendors like, hey, where's your ugly produce? And they're like, this is all the produce we can't sell. And so they just gave it to them and then they made a task of trying to sell all this ugly produce or at least give it away to people and convince them that ugly doesn't mean bad. And it was awesome. Yeah, definitely will take maybe starting with a mindset shift from consumers to then show businesses that, hey, like people are fine with a bruised apple laying there. Absolutely. And I think selling it at a discount is great. And I know a lot of, you know, some grocery stores do this with bananas. They'll take kind of their brown bananas and they might sell them at a discount. But that also leads me to another very sad fact about bananas that the single bananas. <laughs> I knew it. We'll have to link to your song, your YouTube um, (laughs) song on single bananas in our show notes. So we'll link to that. Definitely our Green Dreamer can go check that out after. I have to say that probably the my most like prideful moment. I mean, I know I've written a book, but probably my most like 
excited moment was when a radio station from Poland, I believe, <laughs> emailed me and asked me if they could play my song on the radio. And I was like, this is probably the best day of my life. Like, <laughs> I always knew it. I always knew this, like, 30-second song about bananas was going to be my, my ticket to fame. Yes. Hold on. So for our listener who's not aware of this whole deal with single bananas, can you walk us through what this is about? So single bananas are bananas that are not in a bunch. And on average, a lot of grocers at the end of the night will take the single bananas and throw them away. So sad. so sad. They're single. They're lonely. Because they're alone. And so I, well, I rewrote the words to crying in the chapel by Elvis Presley about single bananas and why you should take them home. So if you're out and you see single bananas, because bananas do have a pretty high carbon footprint if you are in the northern hemisphere. And they have to say typically come from, you know, tropical areas. I don't know of many bananas produced in the United States, at least. So one of the best ways to lower your carbon footprint, if you like bananas, is to buy single ones. Mm -hmm. That way you're preventing them from being thrown out. Love that. Easy tip for us. I want to shift gears for a little bit. So this is a question from a listener. They mentioned that plastic is in part a byproduct of the oil industry, which we very much are still reliant on. So based on what you know, is this true? And what does this mean in terms of plastic's place in our society today? So yes and no. Plastic is a byproduct of the oil industry, but it also is a product of the oil industry, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's it's both because currently our demand for plastic is so, so, so incredibly high. And this would be a great blog post. And I would love to research more about this because I don't have all the facts off the top of my head right now. But I believe it's like 17 million barrels of oil goes into making plastic water bottles and that many barrels of oil could fuel 1 million cars for a year. So while it is absolutely a byproduct, I think it's also a product in itself because we use it so much for so many things. We do need to reduce our demand for plastics in general because that can also help our transition away from digging for oil. And knowing that we're still relying on oil, of course, we have to transition away from fossil fuel in general as well. But given that there is still fossil fuel right now, at least, there is still plastic that's going to exist in the world today. Yeah, we're, we're never going to be a completely plastic-free society. And I don't think that we should be. I don't think plastic is bad and I don't think plastic is evil. But I think that we use the material in a wrong way a lot of the times. And something that's very interesting, I was at a forum in Phoenix. And it was very interesting because someone from National Geographic was there. And they were talking about how we can't just go back. We just can't go back to the way things were which was a fully paper and fully like glass-based society because glass, think about the emissions created from transporting glass versus transporting plastic. So like in the long run, it's actually fewer emissions to transport the plastic than it is the glass. Mm. And then of course, paper, as we talked about, it's just, it becomes so complex that we just need better systems all the way around. We need mindset shifts we need to choose reusability over disposability because at the end of the day, the problem is that things are disposable. So it's really just plastic is a durable material, so it shouldn't be used for disposable items. That's the biggest issue that we have to get at. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like it shouldn't be used for your cup from Starbucks that you drink out of for 15 minutes, right? And that comes back to the whole cultural shift of either bringing a reusable, a deposit scheme, be willing to sit in the cafe for 15 minutes to drink your coffee, 
yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of really interesting challenges, I think, for the future. And I'm I'm just I'm really excited to see how things are going to change. And Berkeley just passed a law. It's a ban on disposable foodware. And if you were going to go get your coffee at the cafe and you don't have your reusable, they're going to charge you 25 cents for a compostable cup. And so I'm very interested to see more and to see how this changes things, because I believe charging people for the disposable items, because disposable items do cost money. We're just so used to seeing them for free that we kind of forget that. So I'm really interested to see how that's going to shift culture of bringing your own with you if you have to actually pay for your disposable. I feel like if that's a significant enough of an amount, it really can get people to rethink what we need and whether we need those disposable things. There was a college campus that did it where they just, they lowered all of their drink prices by five cents and then they started charging five cents for the cup. And I mean, everyone on campus was bringing their own reusable cup. That's so interesting. The price didn't change. Like the price did not change. It was just (laughs) now people were like, oh, I have to pay for this. And it's like, well, yeah, Yeah. someone has to pay for this. This isn't free. Like cups don't grow on trees. I mean, well, kind of, they kind of do actually. (laughs) Yeah, that's super interesting though. I'd be interested in diving deeper into how we can apply things we know from psychology into trying to shift consumer behavior. So Hopefully, we'll get to learn more on that end soon. And for now, today, more and more, we're seeing more bioplastics that are compostable, but only in industrial facilities, which doesn't yet exist in a lot of places. And this means that the bioplastics there can become problematic because they're contaminants if they end up in regular plastic recycling, and then they would otherwise just end up in the landfill as well. What are your thoughts on the practicality of bioplastics replacing plastics? I mean, I think there is always going to be a need for disposability at some point in our lifetimes. And probably one of the first things that comes to mind is like sporting arenas. I can't really imagine like a 50,000 person stadium with all glass cups. Like, oh, that'd be dangerous. (laughs) Right. That's yeah. Alcohol involved. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I feel like there are going to be certain places in life that we aren't going to be able to escape disposability. So I think, of course, reducing the amount of disposability as much as possible as we can. And then I do think that compostables are a better option than landfill options. But if I had my way in the world, there would be industrial composting facilities everywhere and would be something that, so everyone had access to composting because I honestly think composting is one of the biggest changes that we can take like right now is something that there's a lot of infrastructure already in place. It would be pretty easy to kind of roll this idea out. And I mean, 16% of methane emissions come from landfills, which is organics unable to decompose in landfills. So if we just made that one shift, I mean, we could significantly cut our carbon footprint. And there's also the issue of how our soils are being degraded. And a lot of this food waste can actually be turned into nutrients for our soil as well. And we're really letting this opportunity go to waste by just letting them rot in landfills. That is like the next thing I'm very fascinated by, which is carbon sequestration through soil. I am excited to learn more about that. Um, That's on my my to-read list. (laughs) Well, coming full circle, a big part of going zero waste, of course, is to really just to think about what we really need and then choosing our best options, whatever we have access to. But at the same time, we're at a time when there's info overload. People love just consuming new digital and social media content all the time, which means that even if, for example, I see something that you're wearing, maybe it's 
it's not new to you, but I'm seeing it for the first time, that might subconsciously make me feel like, oh, I like that dress. I like it. I want something like it. And so just by consuming new content all the time may also prime us into wanting more things and being more consumptive. So right now, at least, I feel like going zero waste and being more mindful is going against the grain of what our society is encouraging. So when you dream up a society that actually encourages people to be more mindful rather than mindless, impatient, and consumptive, what would that look like? There are so many good points in there. And I I just want to say about the whole content thing is I don't think this is anything new because I find myself watching a TV show and then I immediately want like the entire wardrobe of someone. And Mm -hmm. I'm like Googling like, oh my God, where can I get those shorts? (laughs) Where can I get that jacket? So I, I don't know if this is something new. But it definitely is probably something that we are influenced by more since there is, like you said, more content to consume. So in my idealized world, I mean, I just want to say the way that I, okay, so some history real fast, history (laughs) lesson. I had a major shopping problem. I don't talk about it very often, but my roommate once asked me in college, she's like, can you just count how many dresses you have? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I counted and I had over 200 dresses, just dresses. And I actually opened like a dress library in college because at the time I was dating someone who was in politics and I was in the music department and you always have juries, packs, performing art class where you have to like dress up and you go and you sing for like the music students. I was going to all these dinners I had a lot of events, so I wound up having just a ton of dresses. And I was really dumb and was like, oh, you can't wear the same dress to the same event. Or you had to have a new dress for every event that you went to. Mm. And that's, like, really dumb. I I don't know why I thought that, but I thought that, so I wound up buying a lot of dresses. Anyways, I opened up a little dress library, and I would have my sorority sisters and music department people come over, and they would check out dresses to wear (laughs) for their events. I was the original Run the Runway. And so now that I am really, I'm, I'm much more conscious about what I consume, but I definitely know I can fall into these, these old traps that I have been in in the past. And so the way I do that is I have actually implemented a 30-day buy ban. So if I see something, because this is my personality, like I said, I'm watching a TV show and then I'm just like Googling where to buy every single one of their outfits. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, back up. You're going to wait 30 days. And at the end of that 30 days, if you still want to go buck wild, you go for it. And I have to say, after waiting 30 days, I have never gone back to being like, that really does fit in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that if everyone implemented a 30-day buy ban on what they see, because we are like, as soon as we see it, we just want to reach out and we just want to grab it and we just want to have it. And waiting is just the best because you can really think like, oh, do I already have something like that? Because most of the time you do, we're typically very gravitated towards the same items over and over and over again. And I can tell you, because I had like 25 pink sweaters, <laughs> didn't need another pink sweater. But I would see one, I'd be like, oh my God, a pink sweater, I have to have it, even though I already had some. And it also just really gave me time to think about whether or not I truly needed it. And then also thinking about what else you could spend with that money is also very helpful. Like, okay, I, I could buy, you know, these brand new three pink sweaters, or I could save it and go like to a really nice dinner or go see a show or go do something else that I want to. And it's like, okay, I'd much rather go to the show than have another, another pink sweater. Yes. So definitely just being more thoughtful and resisting those urges for a little bit, because oftentimes they're just driven by impulse rather than logical or practical needs. Thank you so much for summing up everything I just said in the last 10 minutes. (laughs) So well. 
Yes. So we will definitely work on that and follow your tips in the book as well. And the last thing I'd love for you to expand upon briefly is this idea of personal sustainability. What does this mean to you and why is this important for us to keep in mind as we continue each of our own journeys? So I realized that I hate making tortillas. Like I hate it. I really like tacos, but I really (laughs) hate making tortillas. And I don't have one of those fancy tortilla presses. I, I was rolling them out with a rolling pin And I had been doing this probably every week, making tortillas for about two months. And I was just miserable because it took so long and it was just not fun. And my edges were never straight and it wasn't pretty and they were ugly. And I was like, there just has to be a better way. Like, this is not personally sustainable. If I have to keep making these tortillas, I'm going to burn out and I'm just going to (laughs) quit. And then I thought, what if I just went to the Mexican restaurant down the street and asked them to put tortillas in my bag and so I just went down there and I was like hey can you put these tortillas and tortilla chips and salsa because I just like really just went all out I was like if I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do everything and they're like yeah four dollars I was like what I can't even buy that at the grocery store for four dollars and they were amazing and they were all freshly made that day and I was like okay check for personal sustainability and that's when the kind of concept hit me that sustainability isn't only about what's good for the planet. It's also about what's good for you and for what you do in your life. And so you have to make both of them mesh. It has to be good for the planet, but it also has to be good for you too. You know, we don't need to martyr ourselves for the planet. Well, we've learned so much from you already. And of course, we would love to check out your book. So where can we find it online or in person? And of course, where can we follow you online? pretty much anywhere that you buy books. You can head to Barnes & Noble, your local independent bookstore, maybe you should have it. Um, You can check on IndieBound to make sure. And then of course you can buy it on Amazon, as with all books. And voice book, audio book, Oh, wow. Voice book. <laughs> You're uh, everywhere. Yeah, so you can find it pretty much everywhere. The book is completely plastic free, which is really great. And it is made using recycled paper. And there is a bit of new paper that's in there because the cover and that is was harvested from forest sustainably certified trees. It is Earth Month and our sponsor, Arbor Teas, is having their only sale of the year on Earth Day, April 22nd, where everything will be 15% off. So bookmark the date, April 22nd, if you or your loved ones enjoy drinking organic tea and would like to try out Arbor Teas. Beyond their loose leaf and organic certified teas, they are the first and only company to package all their teas in backyard compostable packaging, their operations run on solar energy, and all of their business efforts are offset by Carbon Fund. To shop Arbor Teas sustainable organic teas, just head to arborteas.com. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-E-A-S dot com. And again, it's April 22nd second Earth Day when you'll get 15% off everything. For now, since Catherine has already answered our first set of questions for our final five, here's version two of that. Let's power through. What's a book or article that's really shifted your understanding of sustainability? Drawdown. Very good book. Highly recommend it. What's a product or service you wish existed to help us live more sustainably but doesn't yet? Universal composting everywhere. What's a policy or nonprofit's work you feel like will make the most systemic positive impact for a healthier future? There's no one silver bullet, I guess. It's just going to be a lot of different organizations working together. But some of my personal favorite organizations would be Plastic Pollution Coalition, of course, the Drawdown Foundation, 
Earth Justice. There are so many, but those are those are three off the top of my head. What do you do or say to yourself when you're feeling burnt out and unmotivated? It goes through stages, but probably the first three stages are get over it and keep going. And then finally you get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm just going to order a large pizza and sit on the couch and binge watch <laughs> Netflix for the next 48 hours. And finally, what advice would you give the you just starting out in your eco lifestyle journey and your professional path in sustainability? There are two lessons I would give myself, which is I, the first lesson I would give myself is probably one about personal sustainability. The second one would be about nuance. Those are both things that I have cultivated over quite a while. And I wish that I had a little bit more nuance and a little bit more understanding and probably a little bit more compassion in the beginning. Remember to care for your personal sustainability and stay curious to ask more questions. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. In our private conversation, Catherine did mention that to get her book to become a New York Times bestseller, which she's dreaming of reaching because that'll really help the concept of zero waste to get a lot more attention, she needs 9,000 physical copies sold in this first week. It's definitely very challenging, but I believe in her and I think that she'll be able to make it happen. So if you'd like to be a part of this history-making moment and support her, definitely check out our show notes at greendreamer.com slash 126 for links to our website and book, which is also, I confirmed, compostable and printed mostly on recycled paper. As always, you can become our patron and join our Green Dreamer network by going to greendreamer.com support. Reach me with feedback on how we can improve the show for you through the website's contact page, and you can find me on Instagram at Kamea Shane and our podcast account at Green Dreamer Podcast. Finally, as we're wrapping up, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.